Anyway, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. But, and if we stop right there, we would be like, wow, Paul's really doing a great job describing where you and I are living today. But he goes on. He doesn't stop in verse 4. He goes on in verse 5. He says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, he instructs Timothy from such. All this entire list that I just created for you, you look for those as key identifiers because those are the ones that you don't want to be associated with. You want to turn away. From such, turn away. You don't want to be among those who are covetous, proud, boasters, blasphemers, disobedient, unthankful. And don't want to be associated with all of those things. But at the very end, he goes, he left this, I, I think, particularly for this purpose, because Timothy is a pastor, a young pastor, looking to establish a church. But he said, there are some who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. So I want you to take notice of those, Timothy, because I want you to turn away from them. Man, I feel the Spirit of the Lord moving right now. And before we pray, I, I want to just make this point, and then we can pray, that there are a lot of churches in today's day and age. And it's not profound, that's just an observation. There's a lot of denominations. Pick your flavor. You can find anything that you want. And, um, and be convinced that you're saved by attending a church. And you can, you can scratch that pious itch by, by going to a place that they call a church. And I'm not here to attack anybody. So please, if you've got questions or anything like that, I may not say things perfectly correctly. And if, if you've got questions, I'm open to have a conversation after service. But... It's important that we understand what Apostle Paul, the warning that Apostle Paul was given to Timothy, that there are some that claim godliness. They claim a form of godliness, but here's how you know them. They deny the power thereof. In other words, there is a form of godliness that's legitimate, that is true. And the way you know that one is by the power that is associated with it. That's how you can identify which form of godliness is true and which is not. So with that in mind, I would like to ask you to lay down your Bibles and let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to help us open our hearts, open our minds to receive with meekness the engrafted word that's able to save us, that's able to change us, that's able to deliver us, that's able to set us free. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that's in this place. 
Thank you, Lord, for every person that stepped foot in this building. I pray, God, that your will will be accomplished in this place. I know, Lord, that you have, Lord, a purpose and a desire, Lord, for this service. And I don't want to miss that. I want to know it. I want to understand it. And then I want to experience it. God, I pray that you would touch our minds, touch our hearts. Bring us together in one mind and one accord. In the name of Jesus. Jesus' name. Amen. You could be seated today. Amen. Apostle Paul was writing to his son in the gospel, Timothy, and is instructing him to turn away from those who have um, claim a form, who claim a form of godliness. The way that Timothy is to know that that it is merely a form of godliness are is is by the way uh, is by whether or not they have power. Amen. By whether or not they deny the power that is of godliness. There is a genuine power. There is a undeniable power that is associated with genuine godliness. Amen. The definition of the term that was used in our text, amen, this morning, amen, where Paul says, but denying the power thereof, the, denying the power of godliness. The word denying means to deny or to abnegate or abjure or uh, in more simple terms is not to accept or to reject or to refuse a thing that is offered. Amen. This, there is associated with a, the legitimate, with the real form of godliness, a sense of power. Amen. But the moment that you reject it, the moment that you refuse the power, you have shifted, you have moved from that form of godliness to another form of godliness. And so that's what Paul is trying to warn Timothy about. It's like, don't deny the power. Don't ever get to the place. There's going to come a time in the last days, in those perilous times. Uh, and when those times come, uh, I mean, it's going to be prevalent that there are, I mean, individuals who claim godliness. They claim a form of godliness, but they are the ones that deny the power. Amen. And I want to uh, kind of get on Paul's bandwagon, if you will, today. Uh, amen. I don't want to be a part or associated with, uh, amen, a form of godliness. That's not enough for me. Amen. I want, amen, the real, authentic, uh, authorized version of godliness. And I'm willing to pay whatever price. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, I would dare say, amen, that those of you who are in this place today, amen, you're not here just to go through the motions. Amen, there might be some, amen, but for the vast majority of us, we're here, amen, for the purpose of becoming more like Jesus. We want to please him. We want him to be satisfied. We want his favor. Amen, we don't want, amen, to be associated with just a form of God. Godliness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Perhaps there are even some in this place today, amen, who want godliness. They want something more. Amen. But they don't know exactly how to obtain what I'm talking about today. Amen. They have a desire. 
desire, and maybe they can't even articulate, and then what that desire is, they want to be better, they want to do right, amen, they want to stop doing the things, amen, that cause, amen, regret, amen, and, and thinking later, man, I wish I hadn't done that, hey, I want to talk to you this morning, I want you to know that you can attain, amen, this form of godliness that I'm talking about today, amen, undeniable power, power to overcome, power to lay down the cigarettes, power to overcome, amen, drug use and abuse, amen, power, an undeniable power, hallelujah, hallelujah, Amen. This is how you can, I just want to begin by saying this is how you can ensure that you accept or adopt that form of godliness. That when the power comes, when it comes and you're prompted that, oh, I shouldn't do that or I shouldn't say that, I shouldn't think that way. Don't deny it. That's the power of God. He's speaking into your mind, into your heart, amen, the wonderful things of God. He wants you, amen, to do what's right. And so he, amen, puts a conscious, amen, in you, trying to give you, amen, those promptings, those subtle, amen, urges that, that you shouldn't do, that you shouldn't say, you shouldn't think that, shouldn't be here, shouldn't do, but be with this person. Amen, those are, amen, the form, this is a, the power of God trying to work in us. Hallelujah, hallelujah, the more, amen, that we listen to it, amen, the more powerful it becomes, amen, the more of a driving force it becomes in our life, amen, but the more we deny it, hallelujah, the less of an influence it has, amen, on our life, hallelujah, hallelujah, amen, my reading of the passage that we read as a text tonight, this morning, is that Paul is apparently implying that there are some forms of godliness that require the denial of the power of real godliness. Now let me try to explain what I just said. There are some forms of godliness that, that that's all they are, are, and we'll get into what forms is in just a minute, but, but they are merely a representation of godliness. Maybe we'll just go right into it. They, they're a denomination. They're a church. They've got a church building. They perhaps even have a pastor. They have, amen, laity. They have church family. They, they, have, this, uh, they have this construct that can be perceived as being godliness. And it can get you so far. It can, it can get, it has gotten so many, amen, from, uh, amen, one form of sinfulness and, and hatefulness and lasciviousness, all these different things, uh, amen, to become more like God. Amen. But I want to try to help you understand today that that is only a form of godliness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is a form of godliness where you can truly be changed. You can truly be delivered. You don't have to, I mean, go to church and, and clap your hands and lift your hands and sing the songs of Zion or, or sing from the hymn book and, and then go home and be the same way. Hallelujah. That's only a form that's, that's 
only a form of godliness, but there is a there is a godliness, amen, that allows you to truly be changed. Amen. Hallelujah. What does the word form mean? The term form in this context, in this scripture that we have read this morning and is, is used by Paul specifically to, to mean a mere resemblance or a semblance of a thing. He's saying it's a form of godliness. It's a, it's a, re, it resembles godliness. It looks like it. It, it sounds like it. But that's all that it is. It's not real. Ah, oh, hallelujah. It's, it doesn't have any it doesn't have any consequences. Amen. It's it's the it's the modern version, hallelujah, of just a uh, uh, of a traditional form of religion. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Paul clearly instructs Timothy, turn away from this. Don't be associated with this. Don't, don't try to fit in with this kind of godliness. It's just a form. It's a facade. It's an image. That's why you can go to those, that kind of a place and, and you can experience a person who tells you one thing and then stabs you in the back. Or you see someone standing on the platform and there's, on after service, you see them uh, taking a, you, you catch them in the vehicle and they've got some kind of alcoholic beverage or some kind of cigarette or, or some sort of uh, substance that, that they can't let go of. Because there's no power. They can't really change. It's just a tradition. It's just a, uh, it's just a philosophy. It's just another good idea to them. Has no real substance. Has no applicable change in their life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's a form of godliness. In fact, this, this didn't just begin, uh, you know, in 2023 didn't just begin in my short lifetime. I mean, this, these, there, there have been various forms of godliness throughout the, the ages, throughout history. And, and you can read even in the Bible of some instances, and we'll, we'll do that just to kind of get your gears turning. I mean, there's a form of godliness. There, there were a certain pious group of Jews who believed that because they were Jews, because of their mere heritage. And, and I think the things going on in Israel today and yesterday and the day before are, are devastating. And please don't misunderstand anything I'm saying right now as, as an attack on the Jews. Amen. But, uh, I, I, and, but what, what I would like to identify is that there's a certain group of Jews that because they are Jewish, because of their lineage, because of their birthright, that they, they, uh, they become 
kind of self-righteous. They were the chosen people of God. They were already, they were, they were born as a people of God. In other words, they, they didn't have to do anything. They just were. Romans chapter 2, verse 17, Paul is really addressing this group of people. And he says, behold, thou art called a Jew and rest, uh, and restest or rest in the law and make thy boast, makest thy boast of God and knowest his will and approvest the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law. And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hath the form of knowledge. Verse 20. Has a, you have a form of knowledge and of the truth. In the law, all the Jews there, and, and Apostle Paul's just addressing a group of Jews here, amen, that existed during their time, amen, that they had this form of godliness. They had a knowledge of, they, they day in and day out, and I'm not at all knocking this. Pastor just talked about this a couple uh, services ago where, where Jesus said, you know, don't, don't, don't knock the, the Pharisees because of the, the laws that they teach. Those, they're actually, they're sourced from a good source. They're sourced from the word of God. Amen. But he's addressing an attitude of because I am a Jew, because I was born into this lineage. Amen. I will preach it, but I don't practice it. In fact, you can read the scriptures after verse 20 where he said, if you're talking about, uh, and he goes, he lists down a number of, of, of sins and he says, you preach it, but you're doing it yourself. This is the hypocrisy that Jesus was addressing in the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. He said, you, you, you whitewash the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. Hallelujah. I want to tell somebody today, amen, that we face the same kind of spirit and mentality, amen, in 2023, amen, where you got the prestigious, religious, the pious, amen, who claim a form of godliness, but you go into their services, amen, and you see, amen, the, the actions, they have the mechanics, they've got the pews, they've got the altars, amen, but there's no real power. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I mean, the Old Testament, hallelujah. The apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens. Again, he's addressing the same, oh, I'm, I've, I was born into this. I had this birthright, uh, amen. But he's saying, hey, it's not just you anymore, fellas, uh, amen. But this family just grew. Uh, and now, uh, amen, we're, there, you're no more strangers. Uh, you're not just a stranger going through the land, uh, amen. But you're fellow citizens with the saints uh, and of the household of God. Hallelujah. Hey, I don't know about you, amen, but I want to be a member of God's house. I want to be a part of his family. 
Hallelujah. I don't want to just claim it. I don't want to just uh, uh, profess that I believe it. I don't want to just, uh, amen, rub shoulders with those who do. Amen. I want to be in his house. Not enough just, it's not enough just to be in a place called the house of God. But it's truly got to have the house, amen, the presence of God to be the house of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bear with me for just a moment. I mean, he goes on and describes the household of God. Says in verse 20, and are built upon the foundation. What's built on the foundation? The household of God. Household of God is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Hallelujah. Verse 21, he goes on and says, whom, In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. This is how the household of God is created. The place that God will inhabit through his spirit. The place that God will dwell. Amen. Has to be built on a foundation of the apostles, the prophets, and Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Foundation of the household is built upon the word of the apostles, the word of the prophets, and the word of Jesus Christ. Our chief cornerstone. When I was in construction, I'll tell you a brief story. When I was in construction, amen, I had to help. Amen. Put together forms and, and we created foundations. And before I ever got there, it was, I wasn't a part of this team, but before I ever got there, amen, there was a, a unsightly, it wasn't a beautiful part of the house, but it was sturdy. Amen. It was the footer and it ran the, the perimeter of, of the foundation. And so it was, it was the, the most basic form of that house. In order for us to have a, the foundation walls, we couldn't just stand foundation walls in the mud. You have to, and I don't, those of you who've been a part of construction, you know what I'm talking about, or at least you have an idea. If, if you've been on any construction site where they're prior to framing or whatever, you've seen this, this part of the construction process. But before, before you can put the forms up and pour a foundation, you've got to have, amen, that basic layer. And it was, it was a chunk. It was sturdy. It didn't look very good. Sometimes the guys that poured that didn't really care too much about how it looked. They just knew it needed to be there so that the walls wouldn't sink any further down. It was, it was the place, it was ground zero. It was that level place, amen, that from which the foundation could stand. Then... In order, the process went on after they, after that had dried out and we were ready to start. We'd put down, you know, the drain tile all the way around the, the, the footer, but, and that was my job. I was in the mud doing all that stuff. They didn't trust me with the forms and all this stuff, but I got to see how it worked. We put together the forms and, oh, they didn't let me carry them off of the trailer. And so uh, we'd go get them and we start dropping these forms all the way around the foundation. And then the smart guys, not me, okay, smart guys, would start putting them on right in the center of that foundation. Or they might have different measurements based on what the plans were. But they, they would set those forms on that. 
And then in between each form, at the end, they would put what they call ties. And those ties would strengthen those forms. On one side, it'd be locked in. And on the other side, it'd be locked in to the form. That's how those forms stood there. It was because of those ties. Those ties also served another purpose. They were also, they, they, there was, uh, and I don't want to get too sidetracked, but they, they were there, I mean, that, they were there, they also were inside of the, the concrete, and they, they provided some form, of, it wasn't the total, uh, it wasn't the total uh, purpose for them, but they, th their purpose was to basically tie those forms together, and those forms would not stand without those ties. And so, when the time came, big old concrete truck would get there, and the big tube would come out, and they would start dropping concrete in between those forms. And they'd fill that dude all the way up to the top. Somebody was at the top smoothing out, but they'd go all the way around. And um, then they'd take the forms off, and the foundation would stand by itself. Paul said that in this passage that we were reading just a second ago in Ephesians chapter 2, so the household of God is built on a foundation, just like our houses are. There's a foundation, and this foundation has three parts. It has Jesus, has the apostles, or the prophets, and has the apostles. Jesus is the footer. Before this world was, Jesus was. Amen. I don't want to get too sidetracked. Amen. But there's, there's a lot of people out there today that undermine this message, and they say that Jesus, amen, didn't exist until, but, 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 but Jesus is the eternal form of God. He's, he is the eternal God in, in flesh. And so uh, Jesus Christ is the footer. He existed before the foundation ever was laid. Then on top of that footer, on top of the cornerstone, on top of Jesus, amen, are the forms, the outline of what is to come. And that's the prophets. Apostle Paul, amen, uh, let me just see. I better get in my notes before I mess this thing up way too bad. <laughs> Somebody said that's a good idea, I think. Amen. Um, so Paul indicates that the prophets and the apostles are also part of the foundation of the household of God. When, he, uh, when we were preparing to pour the foundation, I, um, they, they, we would put together those forms, and those ties would hold the forms together. Those ties had a critical role. They, they, uh, if they weren't there, it wouldn't be possible for the forms to stand up on their own. They needed one another amen, to help each other stand. Amen. These forms are amen, like the prophets that Paul was talking about in the passage that we read in Ephesians chapter 2. While the, while the Lord was uh, forming the foundation and preparing what he would lay, he inspired holy men of old Amen. Holy men of God, and they prophesied unto God's people. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Apostle Paul was referring to the Old Testament in this passage. He wrote about the prophets in this passage. He said that those men that were inspired, amen, in the Old Testament, that God used and spoke to his people through, amen, were inspired by the Holy Ghost, by God himself. And they laid the form. They laid, amen, the, the, the outline, if you will, of what was to come. And he, he said they established, it was as if they were establishing the forms. 
Amen. Apostle, uh, I mean, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 28 and 10 says, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. I mean, there are times when we didn't get one of those ties locked in correctly. Or we try to cut corner, we got some plywood from Home Depot and slapped it up against the form. And if it, was, if it wasn't supported right, if we didn't have kickers or something behind it, then there was the risk that that part of the wall would blow out. And the foundation would begin to, that would begin to leak out onto the ground outside of the form and, and wouldn't, wouldn't hold up. Amen. So we would we'd do a lot of work to get that back, that form put back in place so that way the foundation could be established. I mean, that's why, I mean, every line of scripture, every part of the Old Testament and the New Testament for that matter, I mean, is so important. I mean, because every tie matters. Every precept, every line, I mean, in the scripture, I mean, carries significant weight. And is useful. Amen. It's, it, it might seem redundant. It might seem repetitive at times. Uh, amen. But it's necessary in order to construct uh, what is to come, which is a foundation. It's a foundation upon what which God's house can stand. Amen. We're, amen. And, and, and uh, the Bible tells in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, the law having a shadow of things to, of good things to come and not the very image of the things uh, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers there too perfect. In other words, he's saying that, let me just use the analogy that we've already been using, the forms, you can't build a house on top of forms. Those things are going to snap and crackle and pop and, and they're just going to fall out. You can't establish, amen, a, a deck, a floor on top of forms. It doesn't have the, the necessary strength to hold that wall. Amen. It doesn't have the strength to hold, amen, the house, the construction that is to come on top of it. And so what happened next? Amen. We have the footer. We have the forms. Amen. But inside of the forms, inside of the outline, amen, inside of the type and the shadow of the Old Testament came the apostles who Jesus chose one by one and anointed. And God gave them, amen, authority, authorized them, amen, to write and teach scripture. The Bible tells us that he gave them an understanding of, of Old Testament scripture. The, the apostles, uh, amen, I'm talking about the 12 disciples of Jesus. Uh, they received, uh, amen, this divine anointing. Amen. To establish, amen, holy scripture. And we read that in Ephesians chapter 2. I don't want to continue to belabor the point. Amen. But there, there came a time when the forms had to come off. Amen. The forms had to be laid aside. And the prophecies, amen, that were in the Old Testament, amen, that were foretelling of a time to come, that were projecting, amen, and typifying a day to come. Amen. They realized, we realized the literal foundation that was there. Amen. On the day of Pentecost, Apostle Peter stood up and said, then Peter said to them, then, uh, then Peter said unto them, um, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That was the fulfilling of the Old Testament forms and that footer. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. But that, that was, and I, I wanted you to understand, amen, the purpose, amen, for the foundation. That, those forms, that, that the, the, the Jews that we talked about just a few minutes ago, they would hearken back to those forms and say, man, those forms, those, that, that it, it, it looked pretty good. In fact, they were pretty sturdy. You could stand on top of them. But you couldn't build a house on top of them. You couldn't put any equipment on top of them. They would just collapse. They don't have the strength that they needed. But the Jews tried to, tried to continually put weight on these forms and try to, try to continue to use them for something that they weren't intended to be used. Amen. And, and we today, uh, amen, have to be careful, amen, that, that we don't, amen, hearken back to a day, amen, to a time, to tradition, to these things that, that they, they're there for a purpose. They do serve a function, amen, they're to illustrate to us where things ought to go and how things ought to lay. Hallelujah. Amen. But they're not the real, amen, substantive foundation. Amen. There came a time, amen, for the household of God to be built up. There comes a time for the Spirit of God to dwell and, have, and inhabit His people. Amen. And it wouldn't inhabit those forms. Hallelujah. It needed a foundation. Amen. It needed a place to stand. Amen. A, a sturdy foundation. Jesus gave a parable. Amen. Of a wise man and a foolish man. Amen. And what was the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? Hallelujah. One built their house on sand. He used the wrong material. Amen. But one, the wise man, built his house upon a rock. Hallelujah. Perhaps, uh, amen, the, the foolish man, uh, amen, could last a few days uh, or maybe even a few weeks uh, on the sand. Uh, amen. But when the winds came uh, and the floods came against that house, uh, amen, it couldn't stand. Uh, amen. The house couldn't stand on its own. Hallelujah. I mean, it's absolutely essential that we, I mean, as people, as members of this household of God, ensure. I mean, Brother Adam and I were talking about this yesterday, too. We got to be sure that we are constructing our house on top of this foundation. That is sure. That is steady. That's not moving with the winds. Amen. That's not being blown back and forth. Amen. But that's established and eternal. It'll sustain the winds of time. Hallelujah. You don't have to put your trust into a man. You can put your trust into his word, to God's word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You don't have to be strangers. You don't have to be a foreigner. You can be a fellow citizen. Amen. Building your house, building a habitation for God's spirit on the foundation of God's word. Hallelujah. Forms of godliness. Hallelujah. It's not enough for us just to have traditional ideas, to have traditional, amen, methods. That's what the Jews were caught up on. Hallelujah. There's another, uh, and I'm going to try to expedite the time here. Amen. But there's another form Apostle Paul deals with in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 3 through 4 says, But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted 
from the simplicity. This is her, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. From the simplicity that is in Christ. What did the, what did the serpent do to Eve? He came and he, he said, did God really say that you, uh, you shouldn't eat of that fruit? He started to ask questions about what God had said. And through that process of questioning God, he, the Bible says, beguiled her or deceived her. He deceived Eve simply by asking questions. And what he did is he really, he complicated the matter. He said that if you, Eve, God doesn't want you to eat of this fruit. And there's a reason why, because he doesn't want you to become like gods. You'll know the difference between good and evil. And so if you eat of this fruit, you're going to become like a god. So, he complicated, because God, it, it, I mean, it doesn't get any simpler than this. God just said, don't eat of the tree. Don't eat of this tree. Here's the, here's the simple rule. Just don't eat of that tree. And the, the devil starts saying, well, did God really say that? Or, or, or uh, here's, here's actually why he said that. And so these other ideas start coming in, and they start distorting the actual word of God. And that's how he beguiled Eve. And he changed the simple message into something way more complicated and harder to understand. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. How many of you think that the devil gave up after he convinced Eve? No, absolutely not. He got Eve and he said, okay, I'm going to give me another. And that's why we deal and contend today, amen, with these ideas and these philosophies that, that, that are complicating, really, complicating, amen, the simple message of salvation, complicating the message of the mighty God in Christ. They complicate a simple idea, the simple word of God. When you can fact check it yourself, spend a little time in the Word. You're, you're not going to find, why don't you just go to the source? You can find different ideas, you can find different interpretations for other people, but why, why? Why would you even spend time going through that nonsense when you have the access to, to the Word itself, to the foundation itself? Here's the outline. Here's where we should build. Here's where you should build. You want to build a household for God. You want to build a habitation where the Spirit of God can dwell. Here's the foundation. And you can build a beautiful house on this foundation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But there are churches all over the United States, people all over the United States, who claim a form of godliness. They claim that what they preach is real, what they preach is right. Hey, listen to me. 
well, you know, you ought to hear this guy or you ought to hear that person. You ought to, and they build everything off of some personality or some idea or, or the latest wind of doctrine as Apostle Paul talks about. Hallelujah. This is a, he, he's trying to tell Timothy, don't, don't be associated with any of that. What you need to do is get back, get back to the simplicity of Christ. Get back to the simplicity of the message of truth. Amen. That's what the true church is here for. We're not interested, amen, in trying to dismantle or come against, amen, all these vain philosophies and deceits because that's a waste of time anyhow. What we're here to do is preach what Jesus said, preach what the prophet said, and preach what the apostles said. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 4, Apostle uh, Paul goes on to write to the Corinthians. He said that uh, your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. This is how the serpent beguiled Eve. Verse 4, he says, for if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, whom we have not preached, whom who has not preached, whom the apostles have not preached. Apostle Paul, amen, is, is, is corroborating what was written in Ephesians chapter 2. He's saying, uh, this is where, this is the source. This is the very source uh, that you can use. Uh, you want to go to the blueprints and understand how the foundation should be laid or where the outline is or what materials should be used. Uh, here's the blueprint. Here's the drawing. Go use this. If he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached. Or if, he, if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received. Or another gospel. Just want to talk about this for a second. Another gospel. This is another form of godliness. That's out there. And I use the term form in the way that Paul did in our text. It's a mere representation or mere uh, it's a mere uh, image of, of what was supposed to actually be. The other gospel, amen, is a perverted and corrupt gospel. Not based on God's word. Not based on Jesus' word. Not based on the prophets. Not based on the apostles. It's another foundation. I mean, it's another gospel. He said, and this, is, this began, amen, in this passage of Scripture. We'll talk about it in just a second. He said, which ye have not accepted, you might well bear with him. And verse, let's go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Apostle Paul, in another church, in the church at Galatia, in the Galatian church, said, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And then it seems like he's contradicting himself in this next phrase where he says, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. He's just saying that there's a real gospel and there's a false gospel. 
And that there are some that have already distorted the gospel in such a way. And the moment that you distort the gospel, the moment that you pervert the gospel, it is no longer should no longer be called the gospel. Because it's not a gospel. It's been changed. It's off of the foundation. It's no longer established on the foundation that will build a habitation for God. It's not a gospel. Hallelujah. Amen. But I'll use his term. And, and let me just, this is what we have to deal with in, in 2023. And so many people, amen, who believe they're saved. They think they're saved. And I'm not trying to cast stones. Please, amen, hear me and hear the earnestness in my spirit. Amen. But I want to, amen, help somebody who perhaps believes wholeheartedly that they are saved. To realize, guess what? There is a real, a legitimate gospel. And the way that you know this gospel is by the power that's associated with it. You don't have to play church. You don't have to make believe. You don't have to uh, repeat tongues after one person or another. They don't have to teach you in a classroom. Hallelujah. It becomes, a, it's, it's, a natural progression. If you're established on the foundation of the apostles, of the prophets, of Jesus Christ himself, amen, this is a habitation for the Spirit. And then you'll begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit. You will, you will begin to represent, amen, what inhabits that place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Look at how Apostle Paul, amen, instructs the church, the Galatian church. Uh, amen. In, in chapter 1, verse 8, uh, says, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. You think I'm being hard today? I wasn't nearly as hard as Paul was in this passage. He said, they're cursed. And he didn't just say it one time. Verse 9. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. I can almost hear the man screaming. Why? Why, why am I so why is Jared so, and I'm talking about, why am I so concerned with something that is seemingly so trivial that on its surface, well, we all, we're all Christians, right? We're all, we're all going to heaven. We all believe Jesus. We all want to please him. And I really believe that. I'm not, I'm not at all throwing shade at anybody in this room or outside of this room. I, I believe that there are earnest people who want to please God. It's kind of like the story Pastor has told about a young man who wanted to, I think he just used this recently, so I apologize for the redundancy here, but talked about a young man who, who uh, came to an intersection. He thought he had the right of way, so he turns out and they end up in a wreck. 
And um, this becomes a little bit too gory. I'm probably messing this whole story up. Somebody's thinking, man, this guy can't even remember the story. But forgive me. Just let me relay the story here. But basically, they come to this intersection, and they, he makes a turn out of order. He thought he had the right of way, but he, he didn't. He, he ended up dying as a result of that accident. Somebody comes in and looks at the situation. They say, why in the world did he make that turn at that time? He, and somebody that was perhaps part of the, in the car, he said, well, you thought he had the, the right of way. And, and they made this observation that he, he was right, but he was dead right. In other words, you know, after he started rolling forward, I mean, there was nothing that's going to stop him. He was going through that intersection. I mean, so he became right, but he was dead right. Man, unfortunately, I think that we, we have to deal with that in today's church world. They're convinced it's my turn. I should take the turn now. And, and, it come, and when it comes to the end of things, I don't want to be in that group that, is, that thinks I'm right, but are dead right. Where the Lord looks down and says, go to be with those who didn't know the truth. Apostle Paul told Timothy in another passage, says, study, show thyself approved unto God. Rightly dividing the word of truth. It's your, it's my responsibility, it's your responsibility as a person to truly understand the word of God. I don't want to be wrong. I feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost moving right now. I don't want to be mistaken. Friend, this has eternal consequences of the music will please come your decision your your conclusions that you make about how to be saved about what is right about what is wrong has eternal consequences how do you know whether you're a part of the right form of godliness, that pure, holy form of godliness, or just another form. I will tell you how. There's an undeniable power that is associated with the right form of godliness. So Paul preached in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I declare, I declare, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. You want to know what the right gospel is versus just another gospel? You want to know if your house is being built on the foundation or just the forms? Go to the scripture. Go to the word of God. Apostle Paul and, and Peter and, and the other, they did their best to articulate the gospel. 
They tried their best through the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to expound for us what is right and what is wrong. We have it at our own fingertips, and yet we don't take the time. Hallelujah. I don't want to spend eternity because I wasn't willing to take a few moments. Because I, I trusted so-and-so or I, I thought he was qualified or I don't want to spend eternity because I wasn't willing, amen, to go to the foundation myself to find the, the gospel, amen, that Apostle Paul declared. Because when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter what this man declares and what that man declares, but what, it do, what does matter is the gospel that the apostles declared. That's the gospel. That's the truth. That's godliness. Apostle John says, hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Amen. As if they're listening, if they're obeying what we've said. Apostle Paul is writing, he said, I, brethren, I declare, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you. Hallelujah. Which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. This is the thing that has saved you. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all, that which I also received. Apostle Paul is even as, as the one declaring the gospel is saying, I'm not even the original source. This came from Jesus himself. Came all the way down from the footer. This is where I stand. This is the strength that I stand by. Hallelujah. I received this. Therefore, you must receive it. <laughs> I feel the Holy Ghost moving right now. Hey, this is the power. That subtle nudge that you feel, that desire that you feel. I want, I want what this young novice, amen, blundering young preacher is talking about. I want the gospel. You can have it. You can have it. You don't have to go through me. You don't have to go through uh, this person. You can get it for yourself. You can build your own house on the foundation. You can build your own house for God. Say, God, would you come and dwell in this place? Would you come dwell in my habitation that I've constructed for you? And, he, and he's going to say, okay, let me, let me check. Okay, I could come in this one. Or nope, you got to change that. Move that. Move the house over here a little bit. Okay, now I can. This project isn't over. This construction isn't over. Hallelujah. But if you want God's spirit to dwell, amen, you've got to pass his inspection. I declare unto you the gospel, brethren. But I delivered unto you, first of all, that I also received. Verse 3 goes on to say how that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures. He fulfilled that prophecy. 
He fulfilled the type in the shadow that was for ordaining his death. Verse 4, and that he was also, he was buried. If we stop here, this gospel is not too different than other messages of salvation. Because friend, there have been good men that have established good reason, good thoughts. They've lived good lives, but they have died. And I mean, wise men teach good things, but their lessons, their doctrine, their thought, amen, has died with them. They're not eternal. They don't have eternal impact. But there is a man who declared this truth and he lived it. <laughs> and he came from eternity, wrapped himself in flesh and said, I'm going to demonstrate what I want them to do. I am going to die. I am going to bury, be buried. But here's how they know the difference. There's a power that brings me out. Three days later, <laughs> he didn't just live a good life. He did live a good life, but he didn't just live a good life. He didn't just die, but he was raised again. Let me find my place here, how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried and that he rose again the third day. And notice this, it was also according to the scriptures. It's verifiable. You don't have to rely on one source. You can look at this prophet, this prophet, this prophet, and they all, if you read from line upon line, precept upon, you'll see the message that they're all telling us. The New Testament is a fulfillment of what the Old Testament is trying to tell us. And so Paul, writing to Timothy in chapter 6, verse 11, says, O man of God, flee these things. You don't have to put up. You don't have to put up with these forms of godliness. You don't have to put up with the fake stuff. There's a genuine, authentic power. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold. Lay hold on eternal life. You want to know what it's going to take to make it to heaven? You need the real, authorized, authentic version of godliness, not just another form. You can't find it in a bookstore. You can't find it in a school. You can't find it in some man that you trust. You can find it in the Word of God. Amen. Let's all stand together. Hallelujah. Oh, man of God, flee these.
these things. Leave that stuff behind. There's no power there. You want to live life? You want to be resurrected? You want to be changed? You want the genuine, pure form of godliness? Don't deny its power. Don't deny its power. Second Peter chapter 1 says, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. You want to live for God? You want to do those things, all things that pertain to life and godliness? You need his divine power. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Skip down to verse 6. It says, into knowledge, Tempest starts talking about things that if we add to our faith, it will help us. And he says, verse 6, into knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, and to patience, you need to add godliness. And verse 10 says, wherefore the rather, brethren, giving diligence, make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, if you add all these things to your faith, you shall never fall. That's power. Have you heard of those people talk about sustaining power? Life, sustaining power, the kind of power that delivers somebody from nicotine, from drugs and alcohol, changes the very character of a person. Apostle Paul said, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We're a new creature. He recreates us through that power. That's why we must follow Jesus' example and be willing to die and to be buried. We're putting away that old man, putting away that old creature, and we become new. I would like if you would bear it to open these altars I wonder if there's anybody that wants the kind of power that I'm talking about. You want to be godly. You want to live in godliness. You're tired of the various forms of godliness that you've seen. You've seen the self-righteous, the Jew, the, the for lack of a better term, the, the Jew-like mentality that is... living that hypocritical life that they claim godliness, they claim piety, they claim to be super spiritual and whatever. But you know better. Or you've been, you've heard that message, that, that other gospel that has deceived so many. And it doesn't have power. It can't change its listeners. It can't change its believers. Because there's, it's just a form of godliness. 
But I'm here to tell you that if you be will, would be willing to obey the true gospel, God will give you power to overcome every challenge you will face when you go home. He'll give you the power to wake up tomorrow morning and stop doing the things that you keep regretting. He'll give you the power today if you will follow his example. What was his example? He said, I died, I was buried, and I was resurrected. Apostle Peter, I've quoted it already, but I'll quote it again, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said to them, repent. That's the dying out. Repentance, what is repentance? That means changing and then expressing that change. God, I'm done living this way. I don't want to be like I used to be. Many of us think that. Many of us feel that way, but we never associate those feelings or those thoughts with action. What I'm imploring or asking you to do today is for you to go beyond just thinking, go beyond just wishing I was a better person. Come to an altar, say, God, help me. I want to change. You've tried it on your own. You clearly don't have the power. But he's got the power. He has the ability, as he has done with so many of us in this room, to change you, to give you the power to overcome. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Spirit of the Lord calling, tugging at your heart. He's tugging at my heart. He wants me to become more like him. Hallelujah. First, you must repent. You must die like Jesus. Once you have repented, once you've laid it all out there and said, God, I'm done with that stuff. I don't want to do it anymore. And it is that simple. You don't have to, you don't have to pay indulgences. You don't have to uh, meet some expectation of some individual. You just have to obey the scripture. Go to the foundation. That's where the real power lies. That's where the real authority is. You want forgiveness? Bible tells us, confess your sins one to another, and he's faithful just to forgive you of all, and forgive us of all our sins. Man, I'm messing that one up. Let me get that one for you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some take that scripture and say, yeah, you should confess your sins. And then, and that's, honestly, that's where the Catholic Church gets their doctrine about confession. But we, this is not confessing to a man. This is confessing to God. God, I realize I'm a sinner. I know that I am. I'm guilty. So God, please forgive me. That's repentance. If you are willing to do that, if you're willing to die, then you can be buried. 
Apostle Paul said that we are buried together with him. And if we're buried together with him, then we can be resurrected with him. Once we have repented and we've made up our mind, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to live that lifestyle anymore. I'm changing from here on out. Then we can be buried with him in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. That's the thing that washes it all away. It represents the blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary. And that's where the cleansing power comes from. Once we've been buried with Jesus, then we can receive that power. The power to live the life that we want to live. The power to please him, the power of godliness. Amen. Let's just bow our heads together, church. Let's ask the Lord to help us in this service. Hallelujah. You want that true form of godliness? Don't deny the power. Apostle Paul said in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. If you believe what I've said this morning, you can have access to the power of the Holy Ghost. Acts 1 and 8 says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, do you want that power today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus.